tuned into the Welcome Dads podcast, the show where my dad and his friends talk about all things being a dad in Welcome County. Welcome to the Whatcom Dads podcast. Each week, we reflect on our parenting by offering observations and advice. And our show is not just for dads. Anyone who is around kids might learn something. I'm Chris Roselli. I'm Mark Bagley. And I'm Nathan Dwyer. This week, we interview Bernice Chang, Children's Services Librarian at the Bellingham Public Library. We discuss technology and screen time, and we review a book about bourbon that the dads out there might enjoy. Guys, when we open the show, I usually tell you what episode we're on, but you know what? We've been doing this long enough. I don't remember. Maybe it's 15? I think it's 15. We'll have our driver's license pretty soon. (laughs) Getting our permit. We're making progress. You know, I think we should take a chance to say thank you to our listeners. We launched this scrappy show on November the 7th, and we are now averaging about 85 listeners per episode, guys. And and we can't be all our friends because we don't have that many friends. No, if it was all our friends, it would be six. We each have two (laughs) friends. And we we each have three or four, but it includes the two of you. Right. Well, I I download it like 30 times each week, so maybe that's adding to the numbers. On different computers, you just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but honestly, listeners, thank you so much for listening. We hope that we are providing some useful information, maybe a few laughs, and we are having a ton of fun doing it. We are getting some feedback, guys. We've gotten some messages through Facebook, and people have emailed and let me know some things. Do you want to guess the number one thing I've heard about? Actually, I know what it is. It is it. The, what it is, Nathan, is your ridiculous love of Twizzlers. You're right. <laughs> At least three people have commented on that. So I don't know if we're doing this whole thing wrong, but in a podcast about parenting, uh, candy preference is the number one topic people remember and <laughs> respond to. So in that vein, I'm going to let you know that another one of my favorite candies is the Necco wafer. And I listened to a podcast, Stuff You Should Know. I think, Chris, you pointed that one out in the past as a podcast you listen to with your kids. But they did a short one on Necco wafers. I'm going to link it in the show notes. Yeah, They make Neccos, actually, by just sweeping up the dust of other candy. And then they just compress it into these little wafers. And that's how you end up getting a Necco wafer. I never had a problem with Necco wafers. I mean, they weren't they weren't my favorite, but I, I didn't dislike them. But when you talk about candies like that, I became a, a much bigger fan of bottle caps. Oh, those are good. And when you, when you get a root beer bottle cap, oh, that was a big, big <laughs> deal. And I also, growing up, I had the, uh, I don't know if you remember, the candy necklaces. Oh, yeah. And you'd, you know, put up your mouth and you'd break off a thing and, and then you put it back on your neck. And by the time you were done, your neck was all sticky and had the colors of the necklace around your neck. <laughs> what about the candy cigarettes? Did you guys have those? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, that was a big deal for me. And the funny thing is, you know, my dad smoked when I was little, and so I would, after dinner, he'd go out on the porch, have a cigarette, and I'd have a candy cigarette. And there was just enough little powder on the end that it sort of looked like ash. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, those are great memories. I bet they don't make those anymore. 
So I listened back to last week's episode and uh, I think that we made it sound like the only place you can find a babysitter in Whatcom County is through Western. And so I just wanted to offer a few other places you might look. If your child is enrolled at a daycare or a preschool, you can certainly ask there. And then if you belong to a church or country club or something like that, there's probably some folks there you could ask for recommendations. We're going to start a new segment this week. We're going to do a listener mailbag question. This week's listener mailbag question comes from loyal listener Mike. And he says, what do you do when you don't particularly like one of your kid's friends? I did a little research, came up with some strategies to employ. And I think it's very age specific. I think it depends how old your kid is. If they're you know, under six, you're going to control who their friends are. It's not that big of a deal. But uh, so here we go. Here's some things for listener Mike to think about. Uh, get to know the kid more. You want to make sure that you're not having a hang up about the kid or there's something going on in that kid's life that's beyond their control. Maybe it's something going on at home with their family. You know, once again, you are proving to be the most patient, caring, nicest dad in the world. I have ghosted so many of my kids' friends that I didn't like. (laughs) You've ghosted them for them or for your kid? No, for me. They come over, I leave. <laughs> as long as it's not a, a bad influence in some way. Yeah, I, I same, same here. So I think the issue is some people would just say, I'm not going to let you hang out with that kid. But I think that could cause more trouble than it's worth. Maybe on two fronts. One, if your kid repeats that to the kid, then you've got an awkward situation with their parents. And two, there might be sort of a Romeo and Juliet syndrome that if you tell your kid, no, you can't do this, they're going to want to do it more and start doing it behind your back. No, I agree. You never want to tell your kid that you don't like their, you know, their, their friend by any means, especially at a younger age. I, I, I need to disagree just a little bit. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe at a younger age, Chris, right. But if they're in high school and you don't like one of the friends, I think it's okay to tell your kid why you don't like that friend and why it, it's not a good idea to spend time with that person. I, 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 I mean, that, that's what, that's what Annette and I did. And, you know, it, it seemed to work and our kids didn't push back and try to do the Romeo and Juliet thing. I know some kids might, but I just, I, there, I think they, when they get to a certain age, it's, it's okay to push back and, and say why you don't like them. Would it be better to just have a conversation with your child about what it is that makes a good friend and what is it that makes this person interesting to them? What do they like to do with them? And is this person reciprocating and showing your child that they care about them? Uh, Sort of like letting your kid figure it out for themselves rather than telling them. I think that, yeah, no, I think that's a great strategy. And again, you are extremely patient and, um, and way better at that than obviously I, I ever was. Um, but I, I think the most important thing though, and this goes back to something we talked about uh, when we talked about the whole dating thing is that you got to support your kid. I mean, that it's, it's really important for them to feel like mom and dad are supporting them in this whole situation, whatever it is. And you have to trust your gut. I mean, if there's really something dangerous going on, I would advocate that then you certainly step in. But there might be ways to sort of tiptoe lightly. And you guys probably can speak more to this, but your kids' taste in friends is going to change as they get older. So some of these kids that you're 
child is hanging around with might be out of the picture in a short period of time. Now for a word from our sponsors. Robinson and Cole Attorneys is proud to be a sponsor of the Wacom Dads podcast. Located in downtown Bellingham, Robinson and Cole has been representing the injured and disabled of Wacom County since 1979. If you or someone you know has been injured in an auto accident or suffered an on-the-job injury, call Robinson and Cole to schedule a free, no-obligation video consult with one of their five attorneys. Their attorneys have over 100 years of experience litigating cases against insurance companies and the Department of Labor and Industries. Call 360-671-8112 to schedule an appointment. Now for an interview with Bernice Chang. She's a children's librarian at Bellingham Public Library. So tonight we're very pleased to have with us Bernice Chang, who is the Children's Services Librarian at Bellingham Public Library. Welcome, Bernice. Thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. You're talking to three dads who have used the Bellingham Public Library quite a bit with our kids. So we're anxious to ask you questions and maybe let our listeners learn a little bit more about what kind of services are there at the library and how their kids can be um more involved in everything you have to offer there. Awesome. So just give us a little bit of background on you. Tell us how long you've been at the library and exactly what a children's services librarian does. Sure. So I'm actually coming up on my 16th year at the Bellingham Public Library. Um, I started when um, I was a senior in high school and just fell in love with the place and haven't left. But basically... As, as a children's librarian, I do the story, a lot of story times, a lot of connecting families to the library, so doing outreach to the community. I also um, do some of the ordering for our children's materials. Um, and so the books you see that are on the shelves is ordered by myself and Bethany. I would say I also am on the desk a lot in helping um, people get connected with stories and um, checking out books to them and interacting with them that way. I love doing that, connecting, especially struggling readers who they come in with their parents and their parents are like, we need to find them a book. And it's fun to get to know the kids and connect them with stories. And my favorite part is when they come back and like, I loved your recommendation. I, I want more. And I'm like, yes. You're reading. I love it. <laughs> Tell our listeners uh, how old your kids are. Sure. So I have two kids. Um, Xander is three years old and Lena is one. So how did you come about working at the library? You've mentioned that you started your senior year of high school. I mean, is it something that you've always wanted to do or how did you come upon this? Um, I actually, I knew somebody who worked at the library and I was, of course, a library patron. I went there weekly and fall in love with the library. And so just as a high school student wanting to have another job, um, my parents own a restaurant here in town and I spent a lot of time in the restaurant and I kind of wanted to escape that a little bit and have something different. And so I knew somebody who worked at the library and she was like, oh, you would be great here. And so I applied and um, at that point I knew I wanted to go into some sort of career working with children. It just happened to um, work out that um, the children's library 
needed a um, page, which at that time was somebody who shelves books and checks in books. So I started off in that position. Wow, right on. So a children's librarian, what what ages does the children's library serve? Like birth to preteen, teenager? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so our children's department serves birth through about age 14-ish. Um, so yeah, preteen, preteen and teens. Um, and so that middle school age, we still have great books for those. And, you know, it's sometimes it gets to the point where kids are kind of their books in the teen department and in the children's department. Uh, so obviously you hung out in the restaurant a lot, which I'm sure wasn't fun a lot. Now you're in this job that you're really digging. So what is the most fun part of the job that you've got now? Um, I would say my the most fun. I mean, I love my job. Like my husband always, I don't know if he really makes fun of me, but he's kind of envious that I'm excited to go to work and I love my job. Um, but it's true. Uh, but I would say if I have to pinpoint a favorite it's story times. I just, I will be so exhausted on a Monday or whatever Tuesday. And I walk into the story time room with all those kids and I just, their energy, it just, I feed off of their energy and I absolutely love it. It's so much fun. And you really build a connection and relationship with all the people that come into story time. And so I love it. It's so fun having that community connection. Now that we're virtual, though, tell us how Storytime is operating now. So Storytimes right now are, um, like you said, they're virtual. Um, so we have pre-recorded Storytimes that um, myself and Julie and Mandy, they do the preschool Storytime. And then I do one for um, birth to three-year-olds called Little Storytime. So we pre-record those. And we put those out onto our um, unlisted YouTube channel. Um, and it's unlisted because, um, with an agree per the agreement we had with the publishers, um, for reading their books, we had to have them on an unlisted channel so that they weren't searchable. And so, um, patrons can only gain access by doing a one-time registration or if they got a link through an email. It's, you know, it's not ideal, but it gives the opportunity for, um, families to still engage with us through story time. And we try to make it as interactive as possible. Like we do the whole pause, we ask the question and pause and let um, the person watching answer. And my son actually watches some of them and it's fun to watch him engage and interact that way. Um, I also do a baby class. That's one of, I love doing that class. It's one for um, birth to 12 month olds and it's really a good a, it's a six-week class right now um and so it's the same parents and babies and you kind of build a relationship and connection that way um and i give tips on early literacy i read stories and songs and um it's fun to do that in a zoom environment because i get to see the kids and it just it just uplifts me i love it yeah yeah my kids are now in middle school and high school, so we don't necessarily get story time in that way anymore. But I remember after a hard day of work, um, we tried our best to always 
read to our kids before bed and story time for me was one of those things that just sort of refilled my bucket, even though there were nights I was too tired to do it. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the importance of dads reading to their kids? I think a lot of times you don't hear about dads reading to their kids. Yeah, I think just moms and dads, right? It's important to read with your kids, but I think a lot um, with reading with your kids, it's like a time for you to slow down, especially in our fast paced world that we're living in, just a time to slow down and have that great bonding experience. Like reading is such a good bonding experience, whether you're sitting side by side or your little ones in your lap or where, however it is, it's just that time where you're just, it's that interaction, like you're you're in it that t- in it together, right? There aren't any other distractions and you're into that story, you're immersed in it. And I think even as your kids grow older, it's so important to like, I can't remember how old your kids are, but having that time to read together, whether it's reading together or side by side, reading separate things is just such a special moment to have. And like I said, it's a huge bonding experience for dads, moms. Um, so, and I know, for example, so I'll have to tell you, like, my son prefers me reading to him. Um, and when he, I think it was last year, he was two and my, I was doing something, he really wanted to read a book and my husband started reading it to him. And my son said, no, daddy, read like mommy. <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, my husband does not have the reading, like, the infection voice, voice yeah, that right, I have, yeah. right? And it's a little bit more, I would say, boring, <laughs> but <laughs> very, mo- very monotone. And so he's like, no, daddy, read like mommy. <laughs> and and that's discouraging for him, right? And so I try to remind him and say, like, you know, daddy doesn't read like mommy and you know, we all read differently. It's a good time for you and daddy to read together. But then also letting my husband know that even though he said that, like he still wants you to read with him. He just yeah. in that moment didn't wanted him to read it the way I did. And so I suggested like, why don't you read books together that, you know, you're interested in because, you know, some of the things I read, I love. And I think kids really can tell when we love something and so if you're finding stories that you're really into then your kid could tell that and so my husband started reading things like star wars books with him and they have that great bonding time together lego books together and it's just it's wonderful to he doesn't say that anymore so that's cool so i know there's been a brief interruption with curbside service at the library but tell us a little bit about that and what's available to parents Yeah, so we have curbside pickup. um, And so basically what you do is you go to our website and you can look on our catalog to find books that you want and you place them on hold. And so that's the only way that you're able to get materials. There isn't, unfortunately, a way for patrons to browse our collections. What we do then is we, you know, get those materials ready. And then when books are ready and on the shelf for a patron, we notify the patron either by phone or email. And then the patron will book an appointment and they can either call our curbside number or they can book an appointment um, online on our website or through an app called My Libro. And after once that appointment's booked, we do all the work. You don't have to bring your library card or anything like that. We try and make it as contact free as possible. 
once that appointment's booked and it's the day of the appointment, we'll go and grab the books from the shelf and um, check them out and then put them in a bag. And then you come for your appointment. All you do is walk up to a table. It's in front of the main entrance and there's somebody standing there. You tell them your name and then we'll go and grab the bag, put it on the table, set back. In terms of, you know, the librarians, we really miss connecting people with um, books. And the one of the biggest things for the, especially for kids, is that browsing time, right? And for families, like you just go to a shelf, like say your kid's really into cars or trucks, you go to the things that go shelf and you kids, you just see them pulling that stuff off the shelves. So that's really hard for families right now, not being able to look at those books and touch those books. Um, but I, right now, when families are asking, um, say like, I, I just need 20 fun books for my five-year-old. I've gone and, um, and other staff, children's staff members have gone to, on the, to the shelves to go get books for um, patrons that way. Because for some people looking on the computer or the catalog, it's just like, where do I start? Because you have to search, right? And a lot of people don't really know where to start. And so we're happy to do that. And you know, kids, kiddos who I've had, like, I just want 20 graphic novels and I'll go and pull 20 graphic novels off the shelf. So, um, yeah. Bernice, I know our library has just the most amazing selection. What happens if families are looking for books that the library doesn't have? So do you mean like if there's a title, the it's not in the library catalog? Is yeah, that, that, okay. yeah, that not that it's not that not that it's checked out, but we don't own it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a form to fill out. Um, um, on our website and it's like can't find it it's under on the website you just can't find it and then there's a little form you can fill out and then it goes to the librarian who orders for that specific collection and then the librarian decides okay is this something that I want to add to our collection for our community or not and um, if it's if it's over a year old then we can um, put in a request to interlibrary loan the title if we decide not to order it. And so that just means that it goes out to we see what other libraries um, around. It does not specifically in Washington. It could be, you know, in Georgia or whatever. And um, if they have it, then they'll interlibrary loan it to us and the patron will be able to um, get it, their hands on it that way. Wow. Right on. So if you drive around Bellingham in the summer, you see a lot of signs <clears throat> in front yards about a summer Super reader lives here, or something like that. Tell summer us reading little, superstar. Summer yeah. reading superstar. So, <laughs> tell us, Bernice, a little bit about that program and how kids can sign up to be part of a of a summer program. Yeah. So each summer we have a summer reading program for all ages, birth to adult. Um, it's super fun. The past few years we've had a bingo card of um, reading suggestions or activities, and kids um, and adults set their own goal for how many squares they want to complete. And then they bring it back to us when they've completed their goal and they get some fun things. So one of those fun things is a summer reading superstar lives here, which is so fun. Just a community building to, you know, drive through and see. I get so excited when I see those signs. I love it. Um, and I know that when I do uh, presentations for schools about summer reading, um, kids get really excited about and the teachers too they love seeing those signs pop up in their neighborhoods and then I know some kids it's always a competition like we're going to have the most signs in our neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty fun um 
and you know kids get a free book so are there any underutilized services that uh, parents may not know about that you always think gosh i wish more people knew about this really great service we offer yeah actually um so we have these preschool theme kits which are really fun they um, there's a theme and there's nine books and an activity um and Families who know about it love them, but it's getting the word out there about them, right? And so, um, and a lot of teachers like to use them as well. We just got these new ones that are um, called Since Time and Memorial Kits. And those are um, kits surrounding just the life and culture of Native Americans. And so there's a lot of really great um, books and information in there. Um, there's little um, activities included as well and some great discussion and um, talking points in um, the uh, kit as well. And so, and it's for um, birth to about, I would say, I think it was second, third grade-ish. So there's a lot of really good material in there. And they're really popular. Um, we're trying to get the word out. And so people are starting to find out about them and put them on hold, which is really awesome. That's great. Yeah. So Bernice, who are some of your favorite classic um, authors for elementary and middle school kids? And then are there any up-and-coming authors that parents should maybe know about and pay attention to? Yeah. So. Um, I listened to your podcast with your, um, was it that fantasy draft? <laughs> that was <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> that was really cool. So for new and upcoming authors, um, I wouldn't say he's new, but I really love Mac Barnett. I've always thought he's great. He writes for, um, picture, he writes picture books and he writes chapter books. So for chapter books, he, one that's kind of popular is The Terrible Two by Mac Barnett and John Jory, or Jory John, I can never remember how that goes. Um, and he also writes uh, these fun new, uh, this fun new series called The Jack Books. Let's see, classic authors. I mean, Roald Dahl's great. Um, I'm sure you all know him. Yeah. I agree with um, a sentiment with Dr. Seuss. I think Dr. Seuss is overrated. Um, <laughs> They're fun, poor, but poor Mark. I, <laughs> I think I think the interview's over. Uh, we get, Bernice, we can't hear you anymore. Let's have a bad connection or something. <laughs> so, but yeah, there's lots of great authors out there, especially right now. A lot of upcoming authors that um, you know, right now this this um, authors with own voices, just being able to read stories about people's experiences and. Um, just a lot of diverse books out there, which is really great to see. Because um, growing up, I there weren't very many books about Asian kids, and I could never felt like I really could connect with a lot of the um, characters in the books I read. Um, and now I see so many great ones. I would like, I'm just like, oh man, I wish these books were out when I was a kid. You mentioned realistic fiction. Do you have a couple of realistic fiction books that maybe my 11-year-old or 14-year-old may enjoy? Yeah, there's a lot of great ones. Um, let's see. I read recently two 
night owl from dogfish and it's written exclusively through emails and letters and it's so much fun it's about these two girls who um they um they don't know each other but their dads start dating and so they say <laughs> when they want their dads want them to um hang out at a camp over the summer and they're determined not to be friends and so it's, it's, it's really, really fun. Um, and it's got a little bit of the parent trap element to it. Yeah. That's it what it well. sounded like. Yeah, yeah. 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 So super fun. Oh. And then I also read recently, it's called stand up Yumi Chung. And that one is about a girl who wants to be a stand up comedian, but her parents are not having that. They're like, she needs to grow up to be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, they've got her going to these extracurricular um, after school activities for test taking, <laughs> and she hates it. And so um, that's another really fun, realistic fiction that I Wonderful. highly recommend. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Bernice, this has been fantastic. And uh, we really thank you for taking the time and talking to us about the library. But before you go, I just have two final questions for you. And they're more informational that you can maybe share with our listeners. Number one is, how can parents register for some of the classes you talked about and for the story time? Yeah, so thank you for asking. Um, So to register for story times, which is a one-time registration, just go to our website. Um, There is a one of the tiles, the pictures um, that actually has me on it. I'm wearing a red shirt and I have holding a book. Um, it ha- says YouTube on there. You just click on there and then it's really simple. You just fill out a form that has just, a, I think, a couple questions. Um, and then right away, once you hit submit, there's the link is given um, to the person registering right away, right underneath that registration form. And then for that baby class, um, registration is through our calendar and um, really it's just contacting me. So my information is there and they, the person just contacts me for a registration. And if parents just have general questions about the library or if they want to get some suggestions for titles for their kids to read, they would just email you directly as well? Um, there actually is a form online. It's called Ask Us. And you can um, get to it it's at the bottom of our webpage. Um, it's also, you, you can get to it in multiple ways, but it's called Ask Us. And um, any questions you have about the library from for kids to adults um, and the librarians are ready to answer them. And what yeah. is that website address? Um, so it's bellinghampubliclibrary.org. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much. We'll link all that into our show notes um, so our, our listeners can have easy access to it. And I just want to say, um, Bernice, I know that that curbside operation is amazing and the huge volume of books that are still circulating in our community because of the work of you and your colleagues. So thank you very much for keeping us in the read during COVID. And uh, I know we all look forward to the library reopening so we can get our kids back in there and enjoy everything um, in person. So thanks again. Thanks so much. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I really, this is my first time being on a podcast and it was so fun. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Bernice. All right. Bye. Thank you.
Whatcom Talk publishes positive community features online about the people, businesses, and organizations doing good things all around Whatcom County. And readers will never hit a paywall or barrage of ads while visiting the site to read stories or check out its event calendar. Whatcom Talk is a free community resource. Local business owners can partner with Whatcom Talk to sponsor stories on behalf of our schools, organizations, and nonprofits, while also getting a brand in front of the community. So spend a few minutes at www.whatcomtalk.com, and you're sure to find compelling stories that remind you why we all love to live, work, and play in Whatcom County. Parenting topic time. All right, this week for our parenting topic, we are going to tackle a doozy. And when we were preparing for the show, we realized this one's going to take two episodes to do. So it's a bit of a two-parter. We're going to tackle technology, screen time, and all things around that. So a bit of a contrast to the interview with Bernice Chang about reading and literacy. These are things that we've gleaned from research and our own experiences Uh, We're not passing judgment on anyone at home as to what they do in this regard. I think the best resource I've found for this is the NPR Life Kit Parenting Podcast. There's about five episodes around screen time and some of them that deal particularly with it in the era of COVID. So we've got a link in the show notes to that podcast. As your kids are getting older, Chris, or were getting older, Mark, what had you more scared? Uh, Sex? Drugs? Rock and roll or technology? <laughs> uh, all of those three because of technology. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I just want to start off by saying I am really glad that I am in my place in my life with my kids in regards to technology. Nathan, I just can't even imagine how much things are going to change as your kids get older and kind of where they are. We somehow made it through hopefully unscathed, you know, only time will tell, I guess, but technology didn't scare us a lot. I think we just were worried about the amount of time it sucked, especially from Ben. That was the big deal for us. What was his go-to screen, app, video game, phone? He was a video game kid. I mean, he just would come up into his room and he would just play video games for hours and luckily his schooling didn't suffer um we we wouldn't allow that of course but boy and he still plays video games a lot and you know we held out for the longest time with the shooter games you know we made sure that he didn't do that for the longest time his favorite game was minecraft and he still loves it which is actually kind of a you know thinking game and it's 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 not terrible but now he's he does the shooter games and Seeing what he plays and thinking what is still to come in terms of video games, it's it's kind of terrifying. It's kind of terrifying. Well, and Amy and I were talking, I think there's two issues with screens. One is the question of whether it uh, inhibits the development of the child by them not doing physical activity, creative play, things like that, especially when they're younger. Um and then the other one is, is, does it allow the child to withdraw and be by themselves, like you were saying, Mark? Um, and I guess the third one now would be, yeah, what the content actually could be that they are seeing. Maybe it's those three things. And it's it's hard to juggle what is um, 
the biggest fear of the moment, right? You know, if, 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 a, if a kid is in their device all the time and they are looking at a, a PBS kids app, if they're always in that, but they're not socially engaging with the people around them, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know? So I don't know. I think there's a lot of guilt and anxiety in parents about technology. Yeah, I agree. Thinking, am I doing it right? What are other people doing? And like a lot of things that we tackle on this show, there's no one way to do it. Sort of what we touch on this episode and next are just some some things that people who've studied this have uh, have come up with. So you, you touched on a couple of those, Chris, sort of the problems with too much technology or too much screen time. Uh, certainly there can be an addiction. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, certainly, lack of physical activity can lead to obesity. I think that's a concern for some families. Uh, you also mentioned the inability to develop socially, to be able to communicate with both their peers and other adults. And then there's the whole thing about the scary stuff that's online, right? We live in an era of child predators, bullying, online pornography, all that scary stuff adds a whole other dimension. There's been studies that show some uh, relationship between overuse of technology and screens and inhibiting brain development and depression and things like that. So there's this whole valley of like bad things that can happen and how are parents going to navigate this? And like you said, Mark, it's going to change. I mean, I'm learning all this now. And by the time uh, five years from now, when it really is a big deal for my kids, uh, it's going to be different. And it's going to even be more all-consuming, I fear. You know, I think that everything you said, Nathan, are certainly concerns that parents do need to be aware of. And I think that the key to this whole thing is to do the very best you can in keeping the lines of communication open with your kids when it comes to technology and and trying to understand what they're doing and what they're seeing and how they're reacting to it. That's way easier said than done. And I'm sure that Annette and I messed it up many, many times along the way. But we seemed like we always at least had a pretty good idea of what both Ben and Allie were experiencing online. I'm sure there's a lot we didn't know, but we thought we had at least a handle on it because we just talked about it. And getting back to the amount of time kids spend on a screen or in technology, I don't think that all screen time is created equal, like you said, Chris. Um, and a lot of times it just sort of boils down to what are your values and what's the trade-off? Is screen time taking away from other things that you find more important? And the really tricky part during this pandemic is we've had to utilize screens to keep up things. So we try and limit screen time at our house, but this morning the kids watch church on a screen because that's what you can do during a pandemic. So, I mean, Talking about this in a vacuum 13 months ago is different, but I think there had to be some adjustments as far as limits on screen time and what, what really is uh, necessitated by remote learning and versus you know, just what kids are doing on a screen for their enjoyment. Yeah, and especially because of COVID with our kids, middle school and high school, for their social interaction with their friends in a safe way during COVID, it's been huge for them to be able to FaceTime and to Zoom with their friends at a social level just to be able to catch up. Some of the research and the 
sort of prevailing wisdom these days is that limits are good, but they're not the only way. And so a lot of what I read uh, this week as we prepared for this was that finding just a healthy balance and getting your kids to buy into it really goes a long way. So if you set the ground rules, just saying this is it, and this is firm. Whereas if you have more of a discussion with your kids and understand what it is they're doing with the screen time, what it is that they like about it, being able to just sort of adapt, I presume, as you go and as they get older. And I think next week we'll talk a little bit about uh, some families are utilizing what they call uh, technology agreements with their kids. And so they sort of set out a list of sort of parameters. I wouldn't call them rules, but maybe parameters and kind of create it with the child. Well, speaking of how technology has changed, I literally today got a text from my younger brother who is finally getting rid of our Atari 2600 that we grew up with. It's been sitting in his attic long enough. So that was actually really sad to think about that going away. And then uh, after dinner tonight, we sat down and played Mario Kart on our Wii as a family. So for us, that was, I mean, that was super fun. That is, I would say, really great screen time because we're all together, we're engaging together and having a lot of fun together. So there's different kinds of screens and how we engage together is very different. Yeah, Chris, that perfectly segues to this quote I found I wanted to read. It's by uh, Dr. Adam Atler. He's the author of Irresistible, The Rise of Addictive Technology and the Business of Keeping Us Hooked. And he says, Older kids understand the concept of balance intuitively. They know that it's important to eat healthy foods alongside candy and dessert. And the same is true of the empty calories that come from spending too much time passively gazing at screens. There's a time for screens, but not the expense of time for physical activity and connecting with real people in real time. So taking that analogy, is your the screen time that you had as a family with the video games? That's maybe like fruits and vegetables, right? right? But it's sort of that endless scrolling on social media that I'm as guilty as is the next guy that is sort of the donuts and candy of your screen time. <laughs> Additionally, Amy and I have tried to be as intentional as possible to let our kids know when we are on our own screens, if we're all engaging together, because sometimes I'm on my phone because I need to respond to a text or an email in the moment. I'm not just mindlessly scrolling necessarily. So that's hard when they see us as parents on the screens, even though we tell them they can't be on the screen. We sometimes need to be on the screen for whatever reason. Yeah. Next week, we'll dive in a little deeper about modeling for your kids. What's an appropriate uh, amount of time and, uh, you know, setting examples. Um, so aside from setting limits, such as this is how much time you get on a screen each day, any other thoughts on things that you can implement to sort of guide the discussion around screen time and sort of help your kids understand the benefits of doing things other than a screen? I think that really explaining to your kids that there are people out there who are bad people and may want to influence them in one way or another and helping them understand that if they don't know the person or they feel uncomfortable um, to not engage. One of the big turning points for Annette and myself was when Ben really wanted to get a headset to do his gaming because it was in a community. 
And he would get online with these people who we didn't know, and they would play these games together. He would say, Dad, I made all these friends online, and they're these great guys. And we, and we had to really help him understand that, you know, these guys that he thought might be his age, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, could be a 48-year-old guy living in a basement somewhere. And so that took a little bit of, of doing to help him understand that not everyone online is who you think they are. And that, to me, is one of the most terrifying things about the anonymity of the whole online community. Well, those 48-year-olds in their basement sure made some money on GameStop this week, didn't they? (laughs) (laughs) I think a distinction in the reading I did was that there's monitoring your kids' use, and then there's mentoring them about appropriate use. And the distinction there being monitoring is probably a lot of no's and this is when you can and can't do this. But mentoring might be more along the lines of really engaging. Like if they're playing that video game, play with them. Just see why they like it. What is it that is appealing to them? If they are really into a TV show, watch it with them and talk to them about it. Um, And if they are doing social media, we'll talk a little more next week, but just being engaged and sort of having the ability to talk through with them some of the things that might come up. What do you do when you see bullying online? What do you do when someone that you don't know approaches you online? And I think rehearsing sort of the lines and the script that they're going to utilize when those things happen, because they're bound to happen, is going to give you a leg up. And Ben liked it when we watched him play. He would invite us into his room and wanted us to see him in action. And so that made us feel much more comfortable that maybe this was, I hate to say the word okay, but maybe it was okay that he was spending this time playing these games when we got to see him actually do it. Yeah. Well, and back to the addiction part that you were talking about, Nathan, Alyssa woke up this morning came downstairs, said good morning to us. And the first thing she did is she opened up her Kindle and uh, started playing the game that she likes to play. And uh, we told her she couldn't be on it. And I said, this great idea. I said, you know what? Today is a screen-free Sunday. That didn't work. Tried. And so I, I think that that is also a recognition to all parents out there that it's something that we're all struggling with. We're all trying our best. And um, we're not always going to win when we're trying to limit our kids' screen time. Yeah. I mean, I have three kids, seven and under. There's times where we just need to get something done and <laughs> we put on a TV show. There's times when like, we want to attend a Zoom homeowners meeting uh, and we've got to get the kids to do something because at that age, um, we, we're not able to leave them unattended for one hour without, without some sort of distraction. Yeah, yeah. Just, be, just being judicious with it, I think, is the right approach. Mm-hmm. And Chris, last week you talked about your kids using the internet to research your family vacation and ice cream shops. I mean, there are great things about technology. Uh, The ability to stay in touch with people who live far away is amazing. I mean, when I was a child, I spoke to my grandparents once a month on the telephone. They lived in a different state and talked to them for three or four minutes. Um, Now my kids are able to Zoom and FaceTime and, and do all these things. So there certainly are some positives. Again, back to that analogy, there's, there's good screen time and there's bad. 
All right, before we go, I wanted to go through what I found from uh, Priceless Parenting. It was warning signs of your kids having too much screen time. So just on our way out here, some things to keep an eye out for. If your child prefers spending time on screens to doing things with their family, if they experience difficulty making and keeping friends, if they have outbursts when it's time to turn the screen off, uh, if they have difficulty initiating or participating in conversations with others, if their grades go down, if all they talk about is their online time, their screen time, if they're losing sleep due to their screen usage, and if they're gaining weight. Those would be some warning signs, and certainly there are resources, and I would encourage you to talk to their doctor or pediatrician if it really gets to a point where you need some some help and additional resources. So just to summarize some things you can do, obviously you can limit the time. You can make sure that your children are using their technology out in the open so you can be aware of what they're doing. Certainly talk to them about what it is they're doing. Um, and then set aside times like meal times and when it's time for bed where there's sort of no technology zones. I did read one article that said, make a spot in your house, whether it's a drawer or something that everybody tosses their technology in there when you're having family time and uh, sort of eliminates the the desire to just reach in your pocket. So we'll put some links to various articles and podcasts in the show notes. We're going to come back to this topic next week. We're going to talk about technology agreements you might want to implement with your kids. We're going to talk about when your kids should get a cell phone. We're going to dive into social media and talking to your kids about uh, all of the untoward things they might find buried in that internet. Welcome, Dad's Recommend. All right, this week on Whatcom Dads Recommend, we're doing one for the dads. We all read the same book, and we're going to do a little bit, bit of a mini book review here. The book is Pappy Land, A Story of Family, Fine Bourbon, and the Things That Last. It's written by Wright Thompson and came out a few months ago. He's a senior writer for ESPN. Uh, some of his other works include long-form articles for ESPN the magazine on Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan. Uh, Chris, give us a little summary about what Pappy Land's about. Uh, it is a book about Julian Van Winkle III and the uh, the Pappy Van Winkle uh, iconic bourbon, which is the hardest bourbon to get anywhere. It's the most expensive bourbon to get as a result of it. And it's a little bit about that family story about how the bourbon came today. And uh, uh, the author spends a lot of time with Julian Van Winkle III doing a variety of tours throughout Kentucky Derby to a variety of different distilleries. And he talks a lot about his own sort of experiences as well as his time with Julianne Van Winkle. He also throws in some of his personal life journey, um, relationship with his dad, uh, with his wife and his unborn daughter and his whole path on becoming a dad and uh, kind of mix intertwines the whole thing into this pretty, uh, enriching and nice story about um, booze and babies and uh, <laughs> and and again then kind of the, the, the love of life so it, it was it, it was a, it was a good read and without giving too much away Julian van Winkle just didn't fall off the turnip truck and own this incredibly valuable bourbon company the the 
bourbon making has been in his family for three generations. His family lost the name and their distillery at some point, and only by a stroke of a little bit of luck uh, was he able to sort of rekindle that and now makes a bourbon that sells for $3,000 a bottle on the internet. Now, (laughs) it's clear that he doesn't charge that for it, but it's so scarce that the distributors or liquor stores that get a hold of it are able to mark up the price. And I think a lot of places actually raffle off or do lotteries for the right to be able to, to buy these really rare bottles. Yeah. And also as, as a new bourbon drinker uh, myself um, and living in the Pacific Northwest, I liked the book because I also got to learn a little bit about the history of bourbon in the South and how Kentucky became sort of the the nation's headquarters for bourbon. I liked I liked to be able to read that too. Total missed opportunity for the three of us because the three of us were in Kentucky <laughs> totally. five years ago together, and we didn't do any bourbon stuff. We went to Louisville Slugger Museum. We went to Churchill Downs, not during the Derby, but just to check that out. So uh, maybe another trip is in the uh, in the works. Yeah. And two things that I really liked about the book. Number one, I did. You mentioned Churchill Downs, Nathan. He took a, a couple chapters and, and really talked about some of the great racehorses. And I grew up going to the track with my dad, who uh, loved to bet on the ponies. And so that was really interesting to me to hear and learn about some of those horses and um, their lives on some of the the stud farms after they retired from racing. The second thing that I really liked, and Chris, you touched on it, was. Um, the farming aspect of of making yeah, bourbon yeah. and my mom grew up on a farm in minnesota and my wife grew up on a farm in eastern washington and we have like a little hobby farm here and um it was just really fascinating to hear how the bourbon making really became unique at least this type of bourbon became unique to kentucky all because of the farmers and that some people could find that very mundane. I thought that was one of the best parts of the book. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And how interesting is it that Kentucky claims to be the South, especially in all things food and sports, but Kentucky was in the union, right? Right. So, you know, you just, they're branding themselves now as the South. They want to be part of the team that lost the civil war simply for, uh, I don't know, the, the character, the mythicism around the South, but they really were a Northern state. And I didn't realize that until I read that in the book. It's like, duh, yeah, I guess yeah. that's right. But it never, it never ever occurred to me. Yep. Yep. I agree. And I didn't realize it uh, until later on in the book that Wright is from Mississippi. He grew up, he's a Mississippi guy. And so he's a deep South guy talking about his exploits going throughout Kentucky. It's pretty cool to hear. I think my favorite part was just sort of the thread of redemption. And I alluded to it a little bit with the history of the company and uh, what the two generations prior to the current Julian III uh, did in the business. And so sort of watching him strive for maybe what his father and grandfather had had before him was, was pretty interesting. And he saves to me kind of the the kicker of the story to you know about three-fourths of the way in is when he finally tells you the true story of this bourbon and how it came to be today and he he writes in a a very 
mysterious isn't the right word, but it, it's it's a very unique style. And um, it took me a while to get into that style. But once I got into it, I really, really took to it. And again, then there's this thread of Wright having his first child through the same process. Um, at the same time, he was getting to know Julian and writing this book. So it uh, probably takes a lot of courage to write about yourself a little bit, too, when you're used to writing about Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan. Yeah, he became very vulnerable in that book. He he talked a lot about uh, a lot of personal things and he even acknowledges that in the book, that it was very uh, self-reflective for him to to sit down and write it. Well, it sounds like you guys enjoyed it. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, something a little different here on Whatcom Dads Recommend. <laughs> we'll, uh, next time, we'll give you a heads up when we do a book review, and maybe some of you want to read along with us. Thanks again to Bernice Chang for joining us today. Thank you also to our sponsors, Robinson Cole Attorneys and Whatcom Talk. There are links to their websites in our show notes. And also check out Whatcom Talk for their feature written about our podcast. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app. Also, we are looking for future topics and guests as well as mailbag questions. So email us at whatcomdadspodcast at gmail.com. Next week, we interview our dads to ask what they remember struggling with as a parent and some of their favorite memories. We'll continue our discussion about technology and screen time. And on Whatcom Dads Recommend, we discuss kid-friendly weekend getaway destinations that are within driving distance. can't hear. What has ears but can't hear? A cornfield. What's a tornado's favorite game to play? What? Twister. What kind of tree can you hold in your hand? What kind? A palm tree.